I think it's awesome. Yeah. But you'll see it. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, anyway, Jewel. Jewel. I just I just smudged through the J. Jewel. Jewel. Re. Jewel. Jewel. Re. Just two, sim- just two syllables. Jewel. Re. Jewel. Re. See, I, I think Jewel. I'm trying to... Time to trying to instead of saying re just like as an R to start, I add a W to the beginning of it, and that's what's tripped me up. Yeah, yeah. So like yeah, instead of having why jewel, that would trip you up. like re, re, it's jewel with another W re, like <laughs> jewelry, jewelry. Jewel. Anyways, he just pushed through the Jenga, and it was really cute. And she's like, oh, it's very cute. I thought I thought it was clever. That's very um, sweet. And interesting and fun. Um, what have you been, uh, other than driving and riding, have you gotten to any games lately? Yes, I actually 120%ed Arkham Knight. 120%? Mm-hmm. Did you find all the um, Riddler trophies, trophies, trophies by yourself? Not by myself. I, I was so frustrated and ready to be done with the game already. <laughs> yeah. That I was. I, I did like 10 on my own, and I, and it, I was like... I'm not going to spend another month doing these right. in, in my little free time I have. I am not going to waste my time doing this. Yeah. And so I looked it up online and mostly just followed guides for most of them. Good. Um, I, I, the, I did it in two sectors. So I would go through and like, I do a sweep of an area, find all the informants, beat them all up, get all the reels I could go find as many as I could on my own and all the breakable objects and stuff. And then, cause I didn't even know what those were. Like I got near the end of the game when you're confronting the Arkham Knight and there was this little spider drone on the wall. And I was like, what is that? Oh, yeah. It's Gold Spatola. It scared the crap out of me the first time I saw it. I was like, that thing is moving. What is that? Oh, my God. (laughs) It was like some Cthulhu going on. So like when when I realized they were riddles and that they had been crossed off and they were destructible, I was like, oh, hell no. (laughs) I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. This is an Easter egg hunt for people who have this game and can't afford to get another game for a couple of months, right? Like this yeah. is a fun thing to do on the side. It's not fun though. Like I that's the thing. It. I did. It's, I mean, up to a point, you know, like up to a point. Yes, yeah. I, I do. But there's, just, there are some Riddler trophies that I spent probably 35, 45 minutes trying to get. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, how do I do it? Mm-hmm. Maybe you can enlighten me. There's one that's just really frustrating and I can never figure it out. There's one that where you pull up to this like brick wall and there's all these question marks on it. And you have to shoot the or you have to throw your batarangs at the bottom to break out the lights to open up the cage. At least that's what I think you're supposed to do. But the ones on like if you start on the left, by the time you get to the right, the ones on the left have reset already. So I don't really know what to do with that one. That's not that's not the airship. That's like no. a, a it's you're like you're like on the streets. Okay. Um and you said that there's it's just like a line of four No, there's a lot. It's not just four. There's like seven or eight. And you um, have to hit them. I think so. Is it the one where you pull up and, and they light up in order? And so like one lights up and then you hit it and then another lights up and then you hit it and then two light up and you hit it and then two and then four and then four and then all of them at the same time. There's like it's, 20. It is possible. That is what it is. Okay. So that is a Batmobile riddle mm. and you have to turn around and like as you, like facing away from it, there's a winch attachment with an energy power core. 
so you can fully charge the Batmobile's secondary weapon systems, the missiles. So the first, the first, ev- all everything else you can do with your batarangs, and then that last one you have to be in the Batmobile, and and so you can do it with the Batmobiles. Um, what's it called? The the thing that shoots people. It's oh it's yeah yeah the, the non lethal rounds yeah. yeah the rubber so, rubber shots yeah. So you you shoot all the individual ones with that, and then when for the last round you release the level four missile upgrade thing that launches like all except one, and then you shoot the last one and it opens. Nice. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one stressed me out too. I was like, I'm not that fast. I can't do it. And then I was like, and then I remembered that like half the game made me use, um, the Batmobile when I didn't want to. Yeah. And I knew that that would be one. Excuse me. I knew that would be one of those times. So that's smart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was miserable. That, yeah, it is. That's the only part of the game that I'm not a fan of. Is this the amount of time you have to use the Batmobile? Yeah. It's just I got used to it eventually. I mean, there was a point in the middle of the game where it was kind of nice. Um, the final, not the final battle with the Arkham Knight, like in the cloud burst, because I was still kind of sick of it at that point. But after you take him, spoilers ahead for anybody who's listening and Batman Arkham Knight. Well, if so people are, if you... are listening at this point, we should probably announce that. Uh... <laughs> That, that we are infinite pulp but we are infinite pulp welcome to another podcast episode of this show happy week everybody yeah i hope you guys are having a good time out yeah. there my name is aaron and i am max yeah and we are infinite pulp we're excited so you're playing you know the thing about arkham knight though is you could just 200 percent it Two hundred forty percent. You get a yeah, special skin for doing and that. You get your special special skin for that. You get that gold skin. It's, it's absolutely just, ridiculous. It There's is absolute. I cannot imagine what sort of sociopath would need to go through and do the Riddler trophy hunt twice. Right. It's it just took, that. It took me like even even like looking for help on the ones where I was really stuck. It took me probably twenty five hours to yeah. get through all of those riddles. I believe you. It was so exhausting. Yeah. It's, um, I can't handle the Riddle trophies. I like that skin a lot, actually, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not, not doing it. Not that much. You know what skin I actually wound up using for most of the game was the 1989 movie skin. Oh, yeah. Gosh, that skin's great. It's too rubbery for me. Like, <laughs> I think it's way a- better than the, like, the, the actual, like, cloth wool looking material from, uh, Batman v Superman. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I liked that skin a lot, actually. The Batman vs. Superman skin. Yeah. Um, I used that, that one a lot, actually. And I used... I mean, I walked around mostly with Batman Begin- or Batman Beyond. Um, that skin is so good. Mm-hmm. That's probably how I played 80% of the game. And then the other 20%, I was using either the one that Arkham Knight gives you... Uh, like your final upgraded version. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Um, I did use the... I like the new 52 skins a lot. Um, man, I, I just like all of them, to be honest. There's not really one that I really dislike. And I have... My favorite part about that game, though, for sure, is the races that you get to do. Um, 
with the Riddler races. I think those are so much fun. And then you get to go do those tracks. If you got the DLC for it, there's like an additional, like several tracks that you can go use alternate Batmobiles for. Yeah. So I can go like roll around. I can put my 1989 Batman suit on and roll around in the Batman. In the 1989 Batmobile. Yeah. Which handles like it, it handles the same way as like the Christian Bale and um, Arkham Knight Batmobile does. And you're like, this thing is just like a giant. It's like a longer than a wiener dog. Like there's no yeah. way you could take these corners. <laughs> this is impossible. <laughs> but uh, so fun. Anything else that you've been touching lately? Uh, and now that I've 120% at Arkham Knight, I'm done. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, and it was actually really nice. Like I wound up using help in the Riddler trophies and the quests wrap up is all about like he calls in Catwoman for help. Oh, and like cool. the, the whole takeaway of that quest is that you don't have to fight alone if you choose not to. And that was just like so affirming for me yeah. to be like, and I'm sure that was intentional on the part of the developers. Yeah, it's where dangerous they, to go they, alone. Yeah, exactly. They knew what they were doing. Um, so that was really gratifying. Yeah. yeah um, and and uh, and then I just picked up The Witcher three. Ooh, so I am interested to see time. how you feel about that. Yeah, I definitely have some thoughts. I definitely have some thoughts, especially after the first couple. Right, because I mean, it's fundamentally different combat styles. Mm. Yeah, and and they've really taken a much more cinematic, much yes. more heroic approach. They're really trying to push Geralt into a, a positive. Yeah, right. I. I yeah, they definitely do. I also see him in that game, though. You definitely have the option not to do that. Definitely. But I think yeah. the main storyline is forcing you to do that. But I think that's why the game is so good is the dialogue side quests let you still be the the Geralt that you know. Mm-hmm. Are you going to watch the Netflix series? I'm definitely going to give it a shot. Yeah. yeah I mean, me I too. think they've already ordered season two. So yeah. That, it's got to be somewhat encouraging. Good. Yeah, I, and I I really think Henry Cavill is a nice guy. Like he's, I think he's so a, sweet. He's awesome. Yeah, I I he's one of the guys that I never really wants to watch movie season, but always get excited when I'm like actually watching him. Mm-hmm. And I think he's gonna play. I don't like the way he looks as Geralt. That's no. my only issue. He's way too see, big a pretty boy. I see Henry Cavill with white long hair. I don't see like yeah. Yeah, the wig is not very good. It, honestly, a Geralt could, though, I think his acting ability and like what he brings to the character is perfect for Geralt. Really, like he's such a he doesn't do a whole lot of emoting, and he's kind of just a very even keeled like same level no matter what emotion he has. Mm-hmm. Actor, and I, I think it's perfect. That's what Geralt needs to be. So I'm I'm excited. I think he's going to do a good job, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I'm definitely, played- yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, Witcher Three, I think, is on my top ten favorite games of all time. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I definitely, I had to put it down at one point. I got to the Bloody Baron quest, yeah. and I got like halfway into it, and I was like, okay, that's enough Witcher for today. Yep. <laughs> I what? have not had to walk away from a game since I played Amnesia. Yeah, <laughs> and I had to put it down. So, did you read the books at all? Yeah, I enjoy okay. the books. They're really okay. good. So, there's the djinn that um, bind Jennifer and Geralt. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you do all of her side quests. Oh, I promise. 
I promise. I'm gonna do all. I'm gonna do everything in this game. Yeah. Like this is one of my favorite series of all time. There's absolutely no reason I wouldn't do everything. That I'll just. I'm gonna wait. You'll know what quest I'm talking about, and we're gonna discuss it then because I have very strong feelings towards it. Good. Um, Good. Yeah. What difficulty are you playing on? Oh, the hardest, obviously. Good. No, it's yeah. not fun without that. Honestly, I, I tried playing on the. Like, I immediately put it on Death March, and then I was like, "Oh, this is fun." Like you yeah. have to think about things and you actually have to use your potions uh-huh. and your alchemy and your, all your oils. The first boss, man, that, that yeah. the noon wraith whooped oh, yeah. my butt like yep. 10 times before I figured out. Like, you got to put Yurden down. Yeah. yeah. But then like using it properly and luring mm-hmm. her into it. I thought it was just going to be like a, a trap where she would like go into it and then be stuck standing no. still. Yeah. And you have to like fight her in that tiny little circle. Right. And she actively avoids it too. Like unless you're standing in it, she paths around it. Yeah, dude. It was really well done. Do you like the combat? In the yeah. game, a lot of people don't like it. I really like the combat. I think it has... I think it is the combat. I think my big problem with it is I, it feels like the combat from the first game. It feels like they haven't taken many... And this is speaking, you know, as someone who hasn't played the first game in, like, a number of years. But it feels like the combat is very unchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they tried to to upgrade it with, like some of the more dynamic battle stuff, the crossbow helps. Um, but I think it's, it just feels kind of clunky and that's, that's, and that's unfair because I'm coming from the Arkham series where the, the, yeah. the combat is so flowing that your character will literally well, slide across concrete like he's on waxed floors to yeah. go punch somebody 15 feet away. So take that, it with a grain of salt. And like a lot of the high fantasy stuff, well, not high fantasy, but dark fantasy, you know, fantasy that we've been consuming lately has been Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. And so like, like once you play one of those games, it's hard to go back to other combat styles yeah. in like that style of game. Yeah. Oh, you're giving me a third person action game and and it's like, I feel heavy. I don't know. It feels good, but like, I, I really liked it. I really liked The Witcher 3 combat. I like everything about that game. I and mean, that's why it's in my top 10. Yeah. So I, I finished every single quest it let me. There's one I, quest that I, I glitched out on. I am very blonde about the whole Gwent situation. I played Gwent and Ooh. we both just kept putting cards down and then <laughs> it was over. And then and so, then like the next two turns, his King card or loyalty card or boss card or whatever it's called had an ability where if they were going to tie, he would win instead. So he won. Because yeah. he played no cards. And I was like, well, that's great. <laughs> Here's what I did with Quent. Um, I played it, the opening quest line for it, and then I never touched it again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to do this. Because, <laughs> one, I don't particularly like card games a lot. I mean, I do like to play card games somewhat, but I'm not like a card game player. And two, it just didn't he didn't really strike me as somebody that like would take time out of like his important side quests and missions to to play Gwent for 3 hours. Yeah. But I mean I know he does, but like he, I it just felt like when you're when he plays Gwent in the books or like when he chills at a bar or a tavern, it's in between side missions and there's you don't I don't feel like it's this overarching story that has to be completed. 
you know mm-hmm. it's that same thing in every single rpg that exists in the world where i haven't really found some rpg i haven't really found an rpg that like does this well where it's oh we need to solve this issue and we need to go find this person and you need to go find what's going on here now but you could also could like go play gwent for like five months and not worry about this but like the state of the world doesn't change so there's no impact to it um i think i'd like to have that as a next step in gaming i'd love to have an impact to your like actual skill and ability to play the game like they say like the ending changes based upon how good you are at the game not necessarily the choices you make interesting so if they be a say, lot of really mad casuals out there, well, including well, the me. thing is, is you can drop it down to like normal or like repeat a save file, you know, that but would I actually think, that would actually increase replayability very highly. But, but y- you would need to do it throughout. It would need to be like a breadcrumb. So people didn't feel like they had to wade through the same game. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And another thing that I so. And the reason I thought about this is I think you guys have it actually. Did you guys get Marvel Ultimate Alliance three? No. Okay. Not yet. We have we, the only game we have so far is still Let's Go Eevee. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, which is great. Pokemon's the best. Um, people are not very happy about it, but oh no, for good reason. That's a whole episode. I don't want to talk about <laughs> it right now. <laughs> um. So. Oh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, from what I understand of the story, and I've only listened to people talk about it, I haven't really done any research on my own, but I think from what I get it is you're essentially trying to collect or get something before the other person does. And what I mean is, like, your team of Marvel people are just trying to fight the bad guy and finish your thing before he finishes the thing because you guys are both going after the same thing. Yeah, but it doesn't matter how fast you finish it because you're always going to beat them every single time. Oh. But but what if you didn't? Like, yeah. what if based upon how you played the game, sometimes he won and sometimes he didn't? I mean, it's yeah. kind of like a roguelike, but like, you know, I think and I, I I would just I really want that kind of thing in that. And my other thing for a game is I'd love to have a superhero game that was procedurally generated one time, and every person. And it was a co-op game, and you use the multiverse, right? Yep. So I play as Spider-Man. My New York City is procedurally generated for myself. I can go into your world, as, and you play as, say, Iron Man. And if we go to New York, your New York City is going to be different than mine, and it's uh-huh. going to be like localized to yourself. But it's a co-op game. We can jump in and out of each person's world. That sounds like a lot of fun. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I definitely agree. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. And it would just be, I mean, every single experience is different. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're going to get very similar things, but like how things progress and since it's procedurally generated, I want those villains to be generated that way as well. So maybe like I get, you know, Venom and and you get to fight the Mandarin, you Mm -hmm. know? And I have to come help you do the. It's just I think that'd be fun. So, um, I haven't played any games though, at all. I have been so busy lately that I've not had time to play anything. I sat down when I was editing our last episode and played 
baseball while I was listening to it, but I had to do, <laughs> had to make so many edits that I ended up just quitting. Yeah. It's like, I can't focus on this. We need sorry, to get better at, at talking so I don't have to make so many edits. And it took me forever to find a way to, to dry out my voice a little bit. I just could not figure out how to do that. Um, and it was like a slide that was just below the effects bar. That's all it was. <laughs> I was like, oh, stupid. So, but, um, yeah, started watching um, a few things. I was watching, started watching Mrs. Fletcher, and I started watching something else, too. I want to start watching The Mandalorian, but I haven't got there yet with it. I did start watching Tailspin again. Oh, because you're on the Disney Plus train. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. And That's a great, a great show. I never, if, it never tickled... My Funny Bone, it was never my kind of show, but I totally understand how people loved think, it so much. It's very I th- endearing. I think I would make it. I think after I finished this series, I'd probably make a change to my top 10. Oh, really? I, I And I had a feeling that Tailspin was that important to me, but Tailspin was always one of those that I never watched. I would never watch. Even if it was on cable, I could see it's coming on next. I'd be like, oh, I'm done. I just watched Darkwing Duck and Chip, Dale, or Chip and Dale. I don't need to watch Tailspin. I never thought it would be my jam. It is just so much my thing. Like, everything about it. I love it. It's just like, blue as a pilot. I, to me, it reminds me of what would happen if Captain Ron was a Disney character and flew like shipments for people. <laughs> like that's what it is, and he like fights air pilot or air pirates. Yeah. Um, have you watched Barry at all? Which one? Barry from HBO. No. Oh, so there's a character on on HBO that's called Barry, or it's a show, and um, there's a character called NoHo Hank, mm-hmm. and he's just so good. Um, I'll have to show you a clip sometime and then you need to watch Otto from tailspin, the pirate captain, because he's just the exact same character. And no Hank is the best part about Barry. I'll need, I'll send you some things. I need to look into um, it anyway. This looks like my kind of show. Like I'm looking at it right now on IMDb oh, and it looks great. Dude, Barry is, I think one of the best shows on television right now. Yeah. I think it's right up your alley. The dude is trying to be an actor and he's a assassin. Yeah. Yeah, it's Hitman awesome. from the Midwest moves yep. to LA and gets caught up in the theater arts scene. Yep, yeah, that's my kind of thing. It's so good. It's everything you want. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty happy with everything that's on Disney Plus. I I think it hit me the other day that I when I first turned it on, I was perusing through it and I was like, this is kind of weird. Like everything it doesn't feel like there's very much stuff on here. <laughs> and what I actually realized was it's just there's plenty of stuff on there. I just know everything that's on there. So it doesn't feel like there's a lot of stuff because I'm already aware of everything that exists. Where if I'm perusing Netflix, I don't know 70% of what's on Netflix. Because, ne- you know, they have all these titles. Like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that mm-hmm. is. But it's probably not that high. But it makes it feel like it's so vast, even though the quality is not there. It kind of tricks you into thinking that. Where Disney Plus is the opposite. Where, like, everything on there is pretty quality and there's just not and it's, there's quite a bit it's just because I know all of it and there's no sense of discovery yeah I think it uh, definitely affects how I feel about it um, yeah well, I, can, I think I it's pretty cool that. 
Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go through Tailspin. I started watching a little of Darkwing Duck, and I was it was <laughs> those theme songs, man. Yeah. From from the early '90s, late '80s are so just good and bad. Like I had a hard time with the Darkwing Duck theme song right now. Um, Tailspin theme song speaks to me though. It's just a bunch of that's just great. And Shere Khan's such a good a villain. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I. I definitely agree about the theme songs and I need to look into Disney plus because it's, it's been something that's been a long time coming. I knew they were going to do it eventually. And I know they've gotten a lot of flack for pulling their stuff off of other platforms, but I mean, they're a media giant, right? They have yeah. enough content to fill uh, oh. a sharing service of their own. So I just watched uh, the opening of every, of like almost all the star Wars movies in 4k. Ooh. And it was just the most beautiful thing. Yeah, that sounds pretty special. Yeah, that, I want, uh, that my alone roommate might be worth at least one month subscription. My roommate and I watched uh, Zootopia in 4K too, and I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> holy crap! It just looks so good." Yeah, um, yeah. Um, no, they have all the super old titles too, which is amazing. They have um, Alice in Wonderland and Snow White. Everything that used to be in the vault is now on Disney Plus. That's crazy. Which is so good. That's and crazy. They have Aladdin in 4K, so that's going to be uh, another watch soon. The the live action or the animated? No, I can't the, believe this has animated. to be a question. <laughs> I can't believe that's a question I have to ask in this yeah. day and age. <laughs> I know how much you hate those. I uh, have seen all of them except for Dumbo, and I don't necessarily i don't love any of them but i enjoyed all of them except for lion king i wasn't a huge fan of the lion king yeah i i, I don't want to say i hate it i love what they tried to do because i think it was a fun idea originally but releasing them so rapidly felt kind of like a cash grab yeah it really does um i don't know i think getting more into learning about how things are made which by the way the toys that made us the season three is going to be open on saturday Mm -hmm. and they have a episode on the teenage mutant ninja turtles yes i'm very excited about that i think actually the four episodes they have are all pretty awesome so it's going to be good the uh i i uh, i lost where i was at with that it doesn't matter. I was reading something else today about Disney Plus, though, and that's really what kind of wanna I want to look more into today. Um, I found an article on The Verge. It was, and honestly, I didn't even think about this, and you know, I sh- probably should have, but it's an article by Julia Alexander, and it's just something that's real short. But they're talking about those older Disney movies that are now streaming on Disney Plus, and they all come with disclaimers now. But the disclaimers on it are pretty paltry. Like it's not great. It, I haven't. I haven't actually looked at it. This would be a fun. Let me tell you exactly what it says. I would love that because I have my Disney Plus disclaimer. Uh, yeah, we're gonna need up. to refer back to it anyway if if we're gonna dive into this wormhole. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we should. I, I'm more interested in talking about when we come to this discussion more about uh, what kind of got me excited and interested in this topic is thinking about, I was thinking I was watching the hateful eight and then Django Django unchained and everything. And I kind of thought like how important is historical accuracy versus implementing modern culture into historical movies. 
Um, but I think it also can be extended into this where, so when you have older movies that have these, what? That was weird. It just went to Netflix. I found the quote. If you're, if you don't have it right in front of you, um, yeah, go for it. And I'm, I'm going to find Dumbo because that's okay. what the article cited just to like yeah. confirm that it's actually true. The disclaimer says, quote, this program is presented as originally created. It may contain outdated cultural depictions, end quote. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Let me yeah. pull it up. Uh, I just found it. Here's Dumbo. And oh, I'm, I'm going to tell you where it is. So here, so on the opening page, it says Dumbo, and then it has the button for play, and then a button to add it to your watch list, and then, you know, when it came out, what it was rated, how long is it. And then the tale of Dumbo, this is the, 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 the description, tale of Dumbo, the baby elephant who uses his ears to soar to fame. I mean, spoiler alert. Um, yeah. See details for advisory. And then you go click down, and the first thing you click down on is suggested. And then, which is Dumbo live action, which is really funny watching the cartoon version. They suggest the live action immediately next. Mm-hmm. And then they have extras, which is the coolest part about Disney Plus is I can watch the original trailer, uh, trailer for Dumbo mm-hmm. and like some of the original concept arts. And they have little documentaries about the making of a lot of these old movies. Um, but you have to click over to see the details. And this is what the detail says. Meet Dumbo. Mrs. Jumbo's sweet little baby mime charms all who can see him until it's discovered that he has huge floppy ears. With the support of his very best friend, Timothy Q. Mouse, Dumbo soon learns that his spectacular ears makes him unique. If you guys haven't seen Dumbo, we're just going to tell you the whole plot now. Um, Allowing him to sort of fame as the world's only flying elephant. Contains tobacco uh, depictions. And then the last two sentences are, this program is presented in... Or this program is presented as originally created, period. It may contain outdated cultural depictions. So that's what Disney decided to do. And the article points out what Warner Brothers decided to do. And I think it'd be fun to kind of compare the two of them and then kind of get into it. So... I'm just going to read the article because it does a better job than I can paraphrase. But having a disclaimer is better than an alternative, but the other studios have handled the similar situations better. Warner Brothers, like Disney, has produced films for close to 100 years. Some of its earlier movies, TV shows contain culturally insensitive, racist, prejudiced, and problematic content. Tom and Jerry, a cartoon series from the 40s, first came with a disclaimer about context of certain scenes. The show, when it was released on DVD by Warner Home Video... Then that message was then brought to Amazon Prime, Instant, and iTunes in 2014 when they were all made to set up. So here's what their kind of disclaimer is, and they go into even more detail because um, they do more. So Tom and Jerry short, shorts may depict some ethnic and racial prejudices that were once commonplace in American society. Such depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. Um, and then they also, with the DVD box, go a step further and say an introduction from Whoopi Goldberg about why the producers decided to leave in the scenes. And it says the Tom and Jerry episodes included in this collection comes to us from a time when racial and ethnic differences were caricatured in the name of entertainment. Goldberg says these prejudices are were wrong then and they're wrong today. 
And then that's kind of the end of it. They talk about some people fighting on Twitter and stuff and then go into what the Song of the South is and some of that. So who, who found, is the author of the article? Yeah, Julia Alexander is and the author of the article. What was the source of it's the article? It's on The Verge. Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought that was... I never really considered that because I kind of wondered what they were going to do with some of these old movies and whether they're going to put it off there. And I, I've always kind of found that fascinating is what's the right at call here? You know, do you show the movies in originally how they originally made because that's how they were made and there's maybe some artist integrity there or because we've discovered at this point that, well, we probably shouldn't, this is like not part of our culture anymore. You know, it's just wrong. I mean, Warner Brothers was right. Like, this is just wrong. So do we even disseminate that content now, knowing that there's stuff in here that's wrong? I don't know the answer to that. What are your thoughts? I think the whole thing smacks of capitalism. And I I don't want to come out of the gates as anti-capitalist because I think there are ways in which it can be done right. Um, I think ultimately what it boils down to is integrity and doing the right thing um, for the people who are being wronged by these actions. So I think it's really easy to trot out a token person of color and have them read a little blurb to make all the white people feel better about laughing at the cartoons that they grew up loving. Right. Um, I think it's harder for people to really reflect and decide that they do in fact want to partake in those sources of entertainment. And I think it's, I, I remember seeing a lot of articles on the internet, people talking about it at various social sites, social media and whatnot, that Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers blurb got a lot of traction and a lot of support. And I was really shocked by that because that I have a background as an actor. Um, I, I, I studied theater in university. And one of the big things that I was taught to look for is what's between the lines and what's what the real meaning behind what people are saying is. Um, and that is called subtext. And so the subtext of that paragraph for me, that disclaimer from Warner Brothers about, do we want to read it? Have we read the whole thing? Um, I have read it, but I can go through it. Some of it again. Um, oh, hold on. Let me get back to here. Yeah, because I think it's really important that we read the whole thing out loud so people have a full understanding of really what we're talking about here. Okay, so this is Warner Brothers. Um, okay. The cartoons you are about to see are products of their time. They may depict some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. While these cartoons do not represent today's society, they are being presented as they were originally created because to do otherwise would be that would be that same oh would be that's a weird sentence would, would be, be, the, be same, the same yeah would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed, which just is a 
that's just a it's just a bunch of bull. Yeah. Like, well, I've talked to people who are really excited about it, and then I explained to them why I didn't like it, and they were like, oh, yeah, that sucks. So for me as an actor reading between the lines, basically what I hear them saying is, um, we know the stuff in here is wrong, but we're still going to try to make money off it. That's basically what they're saying. <sighs> right. And that's really troubling to me, I think, because ultimately what it does is it puts coin above conscience. And I think that's the part of looking at a system of capitalism that starts to trouble me is when money itself has so much power in terms of these large corporations that they can afford to just kind of hand wave social and cultural obligations away. Yeah. It's no continue. I was just going to say, and I know that like the default defense is that a company's loyalty is to their shareholders. Um, but I would argue that company that shareholders and companies themselves are, should also be loyal to the values of their people. And I think one of those values that we see um, embattled a lot now is that of freedom, which, you know, I can see that, you know, the First Amendment freedom of speech, people want to be able to enjoy what they enjoy, even if it's racist. Um, and I think that's fine. I But I also don't think that you have to give it a thin coat of paint and pretend like everything is okay. Right. I, I think it would make a lot more sense for me. Like if, if, if it were me, if it had been my decision, I would have loved to have an archive for these places. I would have digitized them. I would have made them accessible and I would have made them free. And I would say, you can look at these anytime you want, but we refuse to make money off this anymore because that's not acceptable. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the right call in these situations too. Um, you know, nobody's, nobody's coming to Disney plus for Dumbo, obviously. Maybe some people may, but yeah, I would, I mean, I would, I would definitely watch Dumbo. I would, I would highly, well, I mean, yeah, but you don't subscribe to the service because of Dumbo, right. you know, like that's going to be captured with some of the other ones and the Mandalorian and all these other great things. Um, I, I do like Dumbo a lot. And, um, but uh, my favorite part of Dumbo is the first 40 minutes when nobody talks. <laughs> it's, and then the, the other 20 beautiful. minutes of the movie is, I think I timed it and there's like 27 minutes of nobody talking <laughs> in Dumbo and the movie's only an hour long. And it's very sweet. I think it's some of the most beautiful storytelling mm-hmm. that we've seen in animation. I just love that. I, I really like arts and stuff that tries to, visually tell you a story without verbally telling you the story. Um, so, so you love the intro to Pixar's up. Yeah. And it, it didn't like sadden me at all, but I do love that kind of stuff. Um, Ooh, it saddened me, boy. I, I cried in the theater. Um, I cried the other night when I was watching toy story four. Uh, um, I haven't seen it yet. It's great. Um, but so, I mean, but I think you're right. I think that's the right call. But I think, too, like I just said, I would watch Dumbo, right? And, and there's a certain amount of accountability, a personal accountability that comes in there, right? So this parallels, actually, the whole conversation about climate change where, you know, com- everybody pushes individuals, you know, recycle and 
um, you know, do your due diligence and like, you know, try to reuse materials and all that stuff. When in actuality, 87% of the world's carbon emissions are being created by like six companies, companies, yeah, not individuals, companies. And that's in the notion that individual responsibility should somehow be stressed instead of some sort of system of regulation to protect ourselves because the planet's going to be fine. We're just going to wipe ourselves out. Right. And it's not us. It's future people. Right. We're not going to be around to be accountable for the actions. And that's something that's just really disappointing to me is that I want in general, I want more integrity in, Oh, in business. I want like, and this is something that I was always banging on about when I was down at Disney personally, it was just like, the oh, notion absolutely. that they still throw up those those walls, you know, and they say, pardon our dust. We're making the experience better. When you, you know Walt would have been, like, doing shows about it. He would have been like, look, here's what we're doing. Don't hide it. Come see. Make oh, yeah. it a source of excitement and anticipation and create relationships with your consumers through that shared experience. I mean, that's ultimately, that's what business is about, yeah. especially businesses that are in the the entertainment market is like you know it's it's a lasting thing especially with a subscription service like disney plus so i want to touch on something that i also think is really interesting um do you know anything about the jarvis and fortnite situation no i do not okay so i think you no i think this is because this because you're talking about company integrity right and um, you can delve. It's, I have so many questions right now. I'm going to let me focus on just the Jarvis one, though. OK, so um, essentially, here's what happened. Here's what I believe happened. I, I want to get the right story on this one. I, I don't want to not get. Um, so essentially, Jarvis makes a lot of YouTube videos. He has, I believe, two million followers. Oh, so he's a YouTuber. He's a YouTuber, but he plays okay. Fortnite. That's what he does. Okay. Like, and he, he so he streams, and he, but he, he's seventeen year old years old, and he plays for Fortnite professionally and makes his money off of doing Fortnite and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he showed a video where he on YouTube where he was showing off using a Fortnite aimbot just for fun. Like he wasn't in competitive mode. He wasn't doing anything else. He was playing with people, but it was like not ranked, you know, so it was just kind of a quick play game. And this is how the dude makes his money, you know, and he, but, and he used an aimbot, but he used an aimbot, not in, in this specific, this individual situation. He used an aimbot. He doesn't anywhere else. Like, we know he doesn't anywhere else, but we know and he admits to using an aimbot in this video because he just thought it'd be a fun video to show the mechanics of how the aimbot works, right? Um, so there's there's an awesome little agreement that you sign when you agree to play a video game, mm-hmm. and it's called Terms of Service. Oh, I know. And, and so here's what happens. <laughs> Epic Games um, banned him for life. For life! Because... They have a zero tolerance policy about cheating and using it. And this guy not just cheated, but showed Streamed it on a YouTube it. video yeah. that has over 10 million views at this point. It's like making money for him. He's making money by cheating. 
And so they banned him for life. And they said, yeah, we're banning him for life. Even though, get this, he makes epic money by streaming. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. So Ninja, the other more popular streamer, he came out and said, paraphrasing, I don't have the exact quote, though I think I may be able to pull it up real quick, actually. Um, Okay, here it is. In a live stream the other week, he said, there's a difference between a content creator who has millions of subscribers, hundreds of thousands of followers that gets banned from what literally makes him money, and some kid who is just a piece of has absolutely zero following, has zero money that comes from Fortnite. It's different. The stakes are different. And and Epic was like, nah, we're going to ban him for life. Because that's our policy. Yeah. Like he doesn't get special treatment just because he makes us money. And in the midst of like the the disclaimers, everything, you know, the Fort or the Blizzard situation, it's really refreshing to see a company just be like, nah, and just kind of stand up for it and be like, we, you know, they're going to lose money because of this. But I'm I'm just so happy that they're. I, I was a little apprehensive to really believe at, at the beginning that this was the right call. I was like, Oh man, for life, just for like a fun video, like that kind of seems dumb. And it, we're not, that's not really like the bigger issue here. The bigger issue here is somebody who makes money streaming and is the most popular streamer on the planet saying that he should get special treatment because he makes the company money. So that means everybody who makes companies money should get special treatment for everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, so here's what I think on that. And I think it's important to, to talk about this too. This is an excellent topic that you bring up because I was actually thinking about going into this conversation today, a lot about the accountability that has to exist for corporations of that size. Right. And I think a lot of why I feel like companies lose out on opportunities to present themselves with integrity is because to function effectively at the size they exist, they have to enforce the rules that keep the grease, the, the wheels greased. Oh, that's absolutely right. So like if you don't stick up for the rules, then people know they can break them. And if people get special treatment, then they, and this is really interesting to me because this ties back into the blizzard ban of Blitzchung. Right. Because it's against terms of service to be political during one of the live streams for the series. And he's a and for those of you who don't know, Blitzchung was a professional Hearthstone player. Um, He won the tournament in China and then he put on a gas mask to support the Hong free Hong Kong movement. And Blizzard not only um, took away his winnings, but they took away his title And they fired the two streamers who had been sort of commenting on the video, right? They just, they just wiped everybody out. And it's not even streamers. They were, they were like, they're like uh, Aaron Andrews on the sideline. Yeah. Just, that's all they were doing. They were interviewing him after the game. That's all it was. And and what's scary about it is when you see him appear on screen, I don't know if you've seen the clip. When you see him appear on screen, he puts on the mask. Right. They duck immediately they immediately to try to duck. hide their faces and and avoid any opportunity to be included with that right. image and what's really terrifying about that to me is that this is not just so a an aimbot is one thing an issue of human rights is a different thing right i don't think aimbots are an issue of human rights necessarily 
But when it comes to a person's livelihood and support of the company, I think it is kind of. Now, I think, you know, mercy can be a really slippery slope and you have to be careful. Um, but I definitely think what I would have done is I would have I would have created a I would have created a PSA. And I would have said, look, you that every every ounce of money that you made from that file, like we're going to team up with YouTube. We need to know how much money you made from that. Good. Now, all of that is going to be donated to a charity of your choice. And you're going to come on and do a PSA with us about how aimbotting is wrong. And you leverage yeah. the 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 marketing that's already happening for you as a way to reinforce these values that's, without punishing the player, right? Make them work for you. Don't work against them. And I just think that, and, and that's the sort of thing, that's the sort of out of the box thinking that a lot of companies can't get around to where, because they are so big that they have to follow the rules. Otherwise everything falls apart. And that's yeah. what I guess I mean when I talk about company integrity is you have to, rem- you have to be willing to look at specific in interactions rather than the rules. You have to be humane about it. You have to remember the humanity inherent in the relationship between business and consumer. And if you lose that, if it just becomes about the rules, then you've lost your identity as a business and you're just a corporation. And I think that's okay. really where the line exists in my, in my understanding of how all uh, this works. So... Several things there. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm on a little bit of not the opposite side. I'm, I'm not quite adjacent. I'm like a 45 degree angle to that. <laughs> be 44 or 46, man. Don't be 45. <clears throat> nah, the 45 is the best launch angle for things. Yeah, it's, but it's also you know. safe. Have you ever ran down a 45 degree angle yeah, on an icy road? It's horrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, so before I get into the epic thing, I want to point out the Blizzard thing for a second because there's more that I've learned since we've discussed. The, I mean, a lot of this happened since you and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody, you can go read it. But there's a few things that I think are really fun. You guys sh- should definitely go check out Hoag Law, H-O-E-G Law, free advertisement. Um, it's a podcast. That, it's called Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality. They're about 25, 20 to like 35, 40 minute long episodes. And they're every few days. And the guy is a managing partner at a law firm and he does corporate law. Particularly, he knows a lot about virtual digital corporate corporate law and video games and that kind of stuff. So he has a nine part series about the Blizzard situation. That is just fascinating. And it just goes through all the legal aspects of everything and how real messed up what Blizzard actually did was. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone Absolutely. should go look at it. Yeah. There's a part in there where it talks about the, the most weird thing about that whole thing is I think it's episode seven or eight maybe. But they're talking about the American University Hearthstone players that were also banned for mm-hmm. six months because what they did is they didn't even say anything. They brought a sign yep. and um, repeated what Blitchtung said. And when Blizzard banned them for the same. So to be to be clear on this one, Hearthstone has different levels of how good the player is. So Grandmaster is what Blitchtung was playing best in the world. 
Um, yeah. American University was playing at the university level, so it's a few tiers down from that. Um, they still banned them for the same six months that they did Blitzchunk. So on the surface, you'd say, okay, good job. Um, but when you look behind it, the terms of contract for those two different groups are different. And the same rule doesn't exist with the American University the collegiate people. level that they do with the grandmaster level. There are rules that are very similar. However, there was a rule in there that's... I don't have it. You guys should definitely go listen to it. But the paraphrase essentially is this person from the American University broke this one subsection of this one rule that kind of loosely ties back to why they're getting a six-month ban. Here you go. And the best part is, is that in the same contract, there's another rule that Blizzard decided not to cite, which when read and looked at compared to why they got banned and what the first rule was cited, almost 100% matches up with why they should have gotten banned. But they cited the other rule and didn't cite the actual, like the, the one that makes more sense. Relevant. Right. Yeah. And so the lawyer was like, you guys got to understand like corporations this size is this not just a one person decision and then it gets set like these decisions go through several people and then they go through several attorneys to make sure that they're being right about this thing and like legally everything is ironclad for them Mm -hmm. so the fact that they used this rule to cite it is not a mistake typically I mean, it possibly could be. I'm not going to rule that out, but it's not a mistake, which I just find so fascinating that it's just such a mess. Like they just have no idea like how to properly handle this situation. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just telling. Um, I think, I think I'm, I think I'm in favor of Epic banning him for life. I, I because, can, because when I can do you see that? When do you start treating people with real consequences? No, I think I absolutely you know, think that could be real consequences. And, and so and maybe there's a way you mix up them together and, and give him an opportunity not to be banned for life mm-hmm. later on the road. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those like, yeah, you know, you were making money this way, but yeah. You're not anymore because you messed up. And I think it's okay to punish that. And especially if they're just punishing it across the board. You know, I I like the aspect that no matter how much I I would love to. I love to see this kind of stuff happen, you know, and maybe that's because I am where I am. But, you know, it's I like to see things. I like to see people not get treated differently just because of money accountability yeah and it's just one of those just yeah i think streaming is a very new thing it's a very new industry and and we're still sort of navigating the sort of infantile waters of what it is and what it means and i think it's really important to set good precedents moving forward about how we handle this situation because everybody's new to it the companies are new to navigating you know clients who make the money the the clients are new to making money playing video games like and i so i don't necessarily think he shouldn't be punished but i do think that there are ways to 
make something good out of what looks like a bad situation. Yeah, and I think, I think, so I think too. all too I think just saying like you're banned forever. Goodbye. Like I, we're all human. We all make mistakes. And the notion, the notion that one mistake means you're gone for like that. You can never come back from it. Like one mistake and you're done. That's really scary to me. Yeah, no, you're right. It is. It's so hard, man. I can see it both ways. You know, I, I can from afar appreciate the fact that they're they're sticking to this and ban- who knows, you know, they banned him for life three days ago or four days ago. Right. Or a week ago. I don't know exactly when it was. So, you know, enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely see both sides of that. And I don't know. It's. Yeah, I think you have I think more it forgiveness than I do. I think, so. well, I think there's room for mercy. And I think that's what I mean about corporations. I'll give you one last example before I quit. Cause I know I've monopolized a lot of this conversation. Um, but a really prime example that I would give is Disney, um, had an employee who was, um, being treated by a doctor. I drove, I'm a ride share driver for money for those of you who don't know. Um, and I had a client I was driving and she is a health professional down in Atlanta and she works at a, an eating disorder clinic and she was treating a Disney employee with an eating disorder and the Disney employees, two weeks of allotted time away ran out and the healthcare provider got the doctor to sign on a note of extension because she needed another week and a half of treatment. And they sent it to Disney and Disney said, no, you asked for two weeks. You're supposed to be back today and you're not, you're fired. And this Mm. is a woman who worked behind the scenes. She had been doing, she was in tech or something. Um, But the point is she had been with them for like 14 years. And the notion that someone's been with you that long, obviously cares about the job, obviously wants to work hard and is busy pursuing their mental and physical health and is fired for it because that's the rule, because that's the law on a book somewhere that's ironclad. Nah, that's not how business should be so, done. That's not how people should be treated ever. There. Now, now, you, now you're going to make me sound like an. I know. Come on, HR rep. For those of you who don't. Can we talk about this? Can we oh, let yeah. them? I, no, I'm, let me get into it. So right. the, there is more to that story than what she has told you. Uh, so because she works for. She, she, if she works behind the scenes, she's either a Parks and Resorts employee or she's going to be a corporate employee for Disney. Um, I did family medical leaves for Disney for three years for both corporate and Parks and Resorts. Um, but Disney's leave policies um, are different than what is required of them from the government. <laughs> So basically the government says you get 12 weeks of leave. That's FMLA. After that, the company has every right to fire you if you go out longer than 12 weeks. Um, There are lots of things in place, so they can't fire you. There's also ADA that can qualify as a leave if the company decides to do it that way. There's personal leaves. Essentially, the company doesn't have to do anything and fire you at all. Disney, on the other hand... um, does not fire people from my experience since I have been there, unless the job was already going to be let go. Um, 
and maybe they use that as an excuse, but in their policy on the handbook, it says that medical leaves, you have to be out continuously for about a year or 15 months in a 24 month period before Disney will terminate an employee because of a medical leave. So there's no way it was just two weeks and she wanted one more week and she was fired. There's more. Yeah. But regardless okay. of that. No, no, no. I like that. Thank you for the insight. Yeah. That's very useful. There's there is still compassion there. And that's part of the reason I work where I do. And the, the reason and the main reason that I, I, I try to fight for for that is because there's always compassion for anybody who needs to take time out of work and i do understand that there is a business to run and a lot of times business runs really lean so when one person's gone it's really difficult to operate but you know what the thing is about it um it's it's kind of taking the unconditional grace and that's really what you have to have when it comes to these situations because you can to put it simply, if somebody is out on leave and they say, I have cancer, can I, can I be out for six months while I'm going through chemo and getting my, trying to survive? Every single person at that company is going to say, yes, yeah, absolutely. You can do that. Somebody comes to you and says, I am very, I have, I have anxiety. I'm depressed. I have, you know, where it's mental illnesses, they, they don't treat it the same way. They don't treat pneumonia the same way they don't treat anything that you know like and so that's the most difficult part is trying to have the trying to get companies and businesses to understand that you know it doesn't really matter what the illness is is if it's legitimate then we we need to be there for that person just as much as we need to be there for somebody else so that's that's um that, that's my uh, the, uh not all HR is bad soapbox. You yeah, guys can go back no. to not liking your HR people now. Um, no, I, won't be I love offended. it, and I, I do think HR is great. HR were my rocks at my old job. Um, I think HR are in general are really good people. I think everybody a lot. I think a lot of folks who work in HR genuinely want the best thing they can have for their employees, and they try. But there are so many laws and legal things that just don't allow it to happen the way it should. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just is, it's just the case, you know, I want to be mm-hmm. able to do this for this person, but I can't because I can't, because I can't do it for this one. Cause I gotta do it for the other one. And if I do it for the other one, I gotta do it for that one. It's just one of those like things, you know? So, um, what would you think about, um, historical movies that are made now that so say I mean any movie like literally any movie that that uses the culture of the past I don't want to say as an excuse but like what do you think about that I guess you know what I'm trying to say what does historical accuracy versus like like do we have the the ability like do we have the ability to I don't want to say I, I guess I say censor ourselves really and not display it the way it was so I think I think for me it goes back to that concept of money 
And okay. the notion that if you are depicting a time that was painful for people, like, and making money off of it, like intentionally, um, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with how it's approached because I think one of the ways that, that it's most problematic is when you get people who aren't involved in the groups who were harmed making all the decisions about right. representation and about depiction and about historical accuracy because those people are carrying their inherent perspectives and biases into the conversation. I think if you're doing your due diligence and you create a team of informed members of groups who are minorities, groups who are underrepresented, um, um, a classic example would be Django Unchained. Um, mm-hmm. and I bet there were very few black people who had any actual creative say over how that movie went. I'll tell you that right now. Um, and so I, I, I find, movies like that to be kind of troublesome because I feel like if you don't have the voices of the affected people at the table, you know, running the conversation, then, then of course the system of oppression continues because they are still not at the, they still aren't in charge of the conversation, let alone at the table. Yeah. So that's, that's really my stand on it. I, I, I understand that it's a big thing and a lot of people do it, but like I'm to the point now where I don't need to see any more movies that glorify historical war experiences. Like I never even saw what was, uh, uh, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Yeah. I, I knew never you were saw going Dunkirk. that one. Yeah. I haven't seen it either. I have no, in- I, I mean, I don't particularly like war movies to begin with. Um, but I like Christopher Nolan a lot. Well, that's yeah. not true, actually. I appreciate Christopher Nolan a lot. I think the films that he does are important mm-hmm. because I think he does them his way. And I, I think that's important when you're making movies now. I don't particularly love all of his stuff, but um, I'm looking at you, Dark Knight Rises. But uh, um, is it even possible? Is it even possible to make a historically accurate movie? Because nobody was alive. And even though you do have good history books and people who have stories passed down, you know, it's I I always worry. I always wonder about that, too. You know, I I, and that's a much larger conversation about, you know, how much we believe in the past when when we none of us were there. Mm -hmm. But um I don't even man. I don't even know if it's possible to make a a historically accurate movie like that. Yeah, and 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 make it okay. Like at least a fiction story, you know. So what about the ones like um, uh, Selma? I have not seen Selma. You know, so so I don't know. I mean, that's probably a bad one to bring up since I haven't seen it. Well, I but think again, the question should be like. I think the first question shouldn't be, do I want to see it? I think the the first question should be, what is the content? Like, what is this movie historically about? Right. And so you look at that. And then after you've sort of informed yourself on what the the history says, like the historical context of whatever movie you're thinking about, the next question should be, okay, how how are they going about this? Like, how is this movie 
being made and you do the research and you like look into it and you see how many how many producers were there what what are their backgrounds how many directors were there what are their backgrounds what are about the writers what are their backgrounds you know and you look at it from those perspectives because honestly there is a genre of movie that exists called um like make racist white people feel good movies okay. where like it's it's yeah. a, it's all about assuaging white guilt yeah exactly right. and, well, and so selma's a good example that's why like, i brought it up all, it's all very post post-racial where it's like we're all one there's only one there's only one kind and that's mankind and it's like well that's awesome but there's still lots of people out here suffering daily because they're not white so <laughs> until we can get to a point where those people well, live as well as we do and are given all the same privileges and opportunities we're not the same no that's important. I didn't learn that. Honestly, I'm from a very small town. And so it took me a long and I went to a very white university. I went to a Quaker university in a not as small of a town, but a small town of what I would consider now. And um, I had to move to Orlando before like those lessons started like learning me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and being taught and mm-hmm. and you know i had to live with people who were vastly different than i was and grew up vastly different and i cherish those experiences so much because um i am so far from being ha- having any sort of understanding of anything when it comes to race or what other people can have experience because I haven't experienced it at all, you know, and so it just to be able to hear and, you know, kind of live with somebody and live with folks like that, you know, it, it's all these we- it's just it's all these weird sayings that you don't understand until you experience that one thing. Mm-hmm. And it's so difficult to you can't nobody you can't do it. You cannot put yourself in the shoes of somebody else until you experience the thing that they're talking about. Um, you could be the most empathetic person in the world, but I still don't think that anything can be there until you just like, I've been in a couple accidents, car accidents, nothing serious at all. But like, I've heard the sound I've gotten jarred when I was mm-hmm. in college, I was talking to one of my friends and I was driving a little recklessly and I shouldn't have been. And he's like, dude, slow down a little bit. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, you've never been in an accident. Have you? And I said, I haven't. And it didn't hit me until I had been in an accident what he was talking about and like how terrifying that situation actually is to a much lesser degree than what we were talking about. But, you know, it's just. And that's why I wanted to bring up Selma and really all these other movies. uh, What's the other one? Um, Well, and let me let me walk the walk instead of just talking the talk to let me look into Selma right now and see just as an example of like what this is and what it means. I don't think anybody thinks we're trying to break down Selma. That was literally just a movie that I thought of as an example to say, I think this movie is trying to do something good and send a good message, but I don't actually know, you know, which is why I think it's important to talk about it and, and doing the research and, and looking into it that way um, as well. So the director was a black woman. The producer was a black woman and the director was a black woman, Ava DuVernay. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's two big thumbs up. The writer was Paul Webb. He's a white guy. 
Um, but in a situation where a woman like Ava is on for a project like this, like she wouldn't, she wouldn't sign on this guy unless right. she felt like he was accurately representing what yeah. had happened and what needed to happen for her vision to come true. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, um, well, and the, the producer as well too, you know, because mm-hmm. the producers have so much say in what goes down finally with the writing and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we should watch this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I think it looks I, I'm, I think it I think it's good. And um, I think it is important. I think it's really important to show people what happened. I just don't know how to do it. With, I think know, it's like, in, that, I think that, it's that, important to be upfront about it, and this brings us circling back to the Dumbo conversation. Yeah, where it's like I don't think you bury it under like ten different no. menus. I think the way to do it is to meet it head on, be upfront about it, and say, "Look, this is what we're dealing with. This is the content we're working with, and it's awful. And this depiction of the crows is a very racist depiction of black people, and we know that." And we are not sharing this movie here because of that, because we're proud of that. We're sharing this movie because we think it's important. There are good parts of it, but we think it's important as a part of our legacy to understand that this is where we came from. And I, I agree with the WB idea that like it to, to hide it is no good. I don't think we should be cutting those scenes out. But I don't think we should also be making money off of those scenes. Yeah. I think that's really where the trouble comes in. It's like, it's like selling, you know, it's like selling, um, hate speech paraphernalia. It's like, well, someone wants it. Someone used it. It's, it's a real thing. It's like, yeah, but you're, you're making money off of pain and hatred and that's not good. Right. That's really where I, I, that's where I take umbrage. Yeah. That's such a good word. I love umbrage. Yeah. I like it. I didn't love her as a defense against the dark arts teacher, but what are you going to yeah, do? How was she for you? Cause I was in a class behind you, so I didn't have to deal with Dolores. Um, she was, that was not a exactly fun year. Exactly as bad as everyone said she was. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was rough. We got through yeah. it though. We got through it together. And you know, us, us Hufflepuffs were resilient. Nobody ever thinks we can make it through and we're busy basically so, carrying everybody else. I got told the other day that, I was the worst kind of Harry Potter house person because <laughs> I am a Slytherin who thinks that he's a Gryffindor. Oh, uh, that's man. That's a really cruel thing to say to somebody. But, uh, the, I started thinking about it lately. I think she may be right. And I, which is, I don't know what's worse is me realizing that I think she's right or, or me just pretending and wanting to be a Gryffindor so bad, (laughs) you know, but, uh, I think I could probably go either way. I thought, oh man, I I actually, that happened to Rob, by the way, that happened. He took the Harry, the Pottermore test and he got a choice between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. He like, didn't just, didn't just get assigned a house. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Yeah, that's like, very fun. He's like, I'm going to, like, Rob, what are you going to pick? He's like, I want to pick Gryffindor, but I'm going to pick Ravenclaw because that's who I am. I was like, that is who you are. I'd be upset <laughs> with you if you did not pick Gryffindor or Ravenclaw. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what Rob needs to be. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, this has been fun. 
Yeah, heavy, but important. It was heavy. I'm, I appreciate your opinions and thoughts on this a lot because these is one of this these this is a situation and a topic that I am not as well versed in as other things that we're going to talk about. Um, so, thanks for for sharing. I really yeah, appreciate that. Absolutely. I really really think it's important. Um, and, and I want to take a moment to soapbox. Oh, please. And just this is all share. podcast is. Yeah. We're I just, just want to share my, my awareness that like, I want people to be comfortable talking to people about stuff. And I know dialogue is not really a thing right now in our country. Very much. People are having a hard time talking to each other about what they believe and what they think and what's important to them. And, you know, back before social media, back before everything was immediately broadcast to you. I mean, politics, um, issues of social and cultural justice, like this was dealt with by people talking. And as we talk about it on the show and as we approach the holiday season, I want people to feel comfortable living with integrity. We can't always expect corporations on a massive scale to do it, but I think individually in our small groups, we can. And I think we should. It's a privilege to be able to speak yeah. freely about what we believe. And I think we should be embracing that instead of running away from it. The most important thing you've ever told me um, and the lesson that you've ever taught me, you've taught me a few important lessons. The first one was integrity. Um, <laughs> that was when we were in the college program together. Um, not that I didn't have much. There was just things that need to be ironed out. The second one, though, was the reason we're doing this and it's because you you yelled at me to have an opinion <laughs> and and i've just taken that to heart and i yell at other, other people now you know mm-hmm. all caps if i can and just <laughs> look at them and just like i just have an opinion you know just don't let and i, I think i think that's another another thing i want to talk about at some point and get into is that We've developed a system where everybody – this was perfect. The news today is not people presenting the news and letting the public come to grips and have their own thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. The news is telling – is presenting the news and then telling you how to think about it. And it's mm-hmm. a big issue. Um and it's not something that I want to get into right now. Um, but like, I think that definitely comes out with, you know, take some time to think about it and do your research and, and, you know, don't, don't do what we did and not do your research and start talking about things on a podcast. <laughs> you know, you have to look up things halfway through. Exactly. Like, you know, talk about it. And I agree with you. I'm, I'm 100% in your corner about all those things. So, Hooray. Yeah, there's my my thoughts today. What uh, what do you got going on for the rest of the uh, for the uh, rest of the week? I'm going to be driving. I'm going to be writing, and I'm going to be playing some Witcher Three. Mm, yes, I'm very excited about you playing the Witcher Three. I'm so excited to hear your thoughts about that. Um, can you just open mind it and not like already try to think of things you don't like about it before letting it? Yeah, soak yeah, no, over no. I'm, this is. Remember, I want you man, to be this kind of, is one I, of my favorite series of all time. I'm I not going to make any rash decisions. I want you to not be contrarian about it because you like to be contrarian. You yeah. know? No, I promise. I will it's, not do that. It's popular for a reason. I know. Um, <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> I won't be contrary just for that. And it's also important to remember that the game is a few years old at this point, too. Oh, I can't go back and play it. I never want to, actually. I'm very happily satisfied with my outcome. I think I put like 104 or 60 hours into the game. Um, and I finished both. Do you have both DLCs? Yes. Okay, so the first deal, do, don't do Blood and Wine. Blood and Wine should be your last DLC. Don't do that first. My plan is to do the main story and then the DLCs in the order they were released. Yeah, yeah, do that. Cool. Um, because Blood and Wine was released second. Blood and Wine is a 20-hour DLC, if you want it to be. Nice. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, if you can visit Blood and Wine, I would suggest doing it um, uh. earlier rather than later. For one reason, and it has nothing to do with story, but... You can uh, dye your clothes in that kingdom, yeah. so you can get a little fashion. Yeah, yeah. that's that's my weakness. You know me. I God. know. That's, this is why I'm oh, telling you because I because because I was perfectly happy to say no if it's a power upgrade. I won't. I'll wait. It's there fine. are power upgrades, but, but it's not the, That's not what I. Uh, my weakness is. I know. This uh, is why I'm. This my is weakness why I'm telling you. is vanity. Yep. Because I got to that point in the game and was like, dang it. I wish I would have known about this about 60 hours ago. I would have immediately taken uh, taken it back. You and, just brave the roads to get there, even though it's dangerous. Run past yeah, all the monsters just 20 roach. levels higher than just you. Just like go on Roach and just and just ride. I've started naming all my horses in Breath of the Wild Roach. Um, just every <laughs> single one is Roach. <laughs> it's my my one tribute. I You know what? I'm I finished Breath of the Wild. Did I tell you that? No, that's yeah, exciting. So I, I finally beat it. And um we uh, uh, eight point five. That's my score. I've I've settled on. Interesting. I think I I think the the shrines are not a replacement for complex good dungeons, uh, and I think that the dungeons that are available in the game are not particularly uh interesting. Um. I, I think the concept behind the dungeons are really cool as a first half of the game, but I would have loved to have seen something open up and and gone someplace else uh, mm-hmm. after you got through the main dungeons. So, um, I, th- I I thought the breakable weapons was going to be the one that killed me and why I hated that game so much, but I actually didn't care about that at all. Once you nice. get, once you get, once you increase your weapons, like once you like get to maybe like 30 hours in the game, it's probably sooner than that. But once you get to a certain point in the game, it just doesn't matter anymore at yeah. all. You have so many weapons. Um, there's too many weapons. And so you can just switch to another one until you get around to a dude, place where you can heal. Yeah, I had, mm-hmm. and there's 900 Karok seeds, and every single time you use them to upgrade your inventory slots. So I had like the ability to hold 15 weapons or something like that. And so like, I think the most powerful weapon in the game is like a 65 uh, or around that. And then you can have other, you know, other powers and upgrades and do all this other crap to it as well. But I had like straight across like fifties and above with all my weapons. And so you just like switch to the next one. And some of them are, and, I liked it because you, you you do use the weapons for different things. Like there are, are creatures that I only use big broadswords on because they're big and fat and slow and they're sleeping when you first attack them. So mm-hmm. I do a lightning attack and then just take my broadsword out and spin around in circles and just keep on hitting him until I run out of stamina and he's dead <laughs> at that point. So 
um, the game is awesome. And Good. I thought it was going to be one of my favorite games of all time. But after I finished, um, it was about 8.5. And I put about 140 hours into the game. So it's not like I... I just kind of roughly like barely touched it. I completed all the shrines except for like 20, I think. Uh, and there's, there's 120 shrines. So I think getting to like, I think I'm at like 97 or like 95. Uh, I'm never touching it again though. I think it's one of those games that I probably won't need to ever go back to. And I'm currently trying to go. Oh, I did start playing the outer worlds. Nice. I'm really happy that they're back, dude. It's so good. I am focusing entirely on uh, dialogue and like just natural flow of the conversation and my ability to like persuade, intimidate, charm or that kind of stuff. I have like gone down rabbit holes with peoples in conversations and like uncovered different layers of truth behind things and mm-hmm. finally gotten to like the end and be like, oh, that's what you need. OK, cool. I can go do that for you. Mm-hmm. I would have not wanted to do this 20 minutes ago when we were first starting, even though you gave me an option to immediately say yes and go do it for you. Right. And just that the level of dialogue they have in that game is the most naturally flowing dialogue I've experienced from a Bethesda obsidian kind of, you know, RPG mm-hmm. of that ilk. Yeah. And so um, I'm very excited. I, I think if you have game pass, you should definitely I mean by the time you're listening to us it may not be out but if you have game pass you should definitely check it out okay um, you don't have game pass but I do not you know but uh, for the listeners for yeah. the kids at home man if you want a sci-fi Skyrim with a more intimate personalized story and something that is <laughs> very relevant to what we were talking about today about corporations because that's the, the entire game the first quest that you come across is the graveyard watchman um, asking you to go collect money because while people are alive, they are paying rent for their funeral spot, like for their spot where they're going to get buried. So Jeez. your job, like you can just, you have to go collect rent um, from everybody. I am not a good character. I am not playing this as a, as a righteous person. Mm-hmm. I decided to play this as kind of a Han Solo smuggler, charming kind of out for himself, but also a really good leader character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm putting all my points into leadership and and some handguns and like long weapons, but mostly I, I want to be able to talk my way out of things and not have to deal with combat unless it's forced upon me. <laughs> um, and so I am lying and persuading and charming and intimidating. And so I will and you can kill anybody in the game. There's not a single person that you can't that you can't uh, kill. Um so you have ability to get like five companions and you can absolutely kill all five of them and then just play the whole game by yourself. And you don't even have to accept the companions. They ask you, can I come with you? You can say no and then just do the rest of the game without the companion, at least for a nice. couple of them. So it's awesome. I'm, very I'm, every single time I play it, I'm just I'm, I'm in it. And then I'm still going through Resident Evil 2, but um, I just don't have time. I have not had no time to do anything lately. So, yeah. I actually picked up, I forgot to tell you earlier, I picked up Magic the Gathering Arena, which is free to play. And so it's scratching that magic itch for me when I have time. um, It's on PC. Ooh. All right. Is it it a multiplayer? Yeah. Yeah. You can be friends with people. So are you playing, what uh, launcher are you playing on? Um, The 
it's just downloaded through their website. Oh, like okay. you have like a name and you can play against other people if you have their name. You can like challenge people to individual matches. Well, I think we should have a fun podcast episode where you and I play magic against each other and just chat. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd and be down can, for that. And and we'll talk about fun things. And maybe that'll be our video game music episode so I can go back and edit it and like put music in while we play because it'll be a longer one. That's a good idea. Um, and and go, I'll go that route. Yeah. All right. I'm going to gift you 11 minutes. Thanks. That's um, so gracious. I appreciate that. Good yeah. looking out. Of course. You're very welcome. Just trying to do right by you, you know? But I think uh, that does it for now. So we have been Infinite Pulp. Hope you enjoyed the show today and have yourself a good rest of your day or nights or morning or wherever this is at. Goodbye.